Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Journey of Faith. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And right now we're connected with our Torrance campus. So I want to say hi to everybody at Torrance, as well as those of you that are watching us online. If you're new with us, thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited. Today, we're starting a five-week series of messages that I've been wanting to share with you for quite a long time. It's called Lenses. And this, is, this series is about how understanding the Bible can help us see God more clearly. And the analogy is that in the physical world, we have different lenses, like lenses in binoculars and microscopes and telescopes and, and even kaleidoscopes that help us see the world in unique ways. Well, that's how the different genres of literature work in the Bible. The Bible is, is one book made up of 66 different books, and there are different genres of literature in the Bible. And when we read through those genres, we can see God more clearly, we can understand each other more clearly, and we can figure out how to live for God. Now, when I say genre, let me just clarify what I mean. Uh, the word genre means a category of artistic composition, like music or film or literature, characterized by similarity in form, style, or subject matter. That is the driest and most boring way to understand genre. So let's have a little bit of fun. Today we're going to play a game together that I just made up called, let's say it together, Name That Genre. All right, so I'm going to give you the form, the structure, or the subject matter, and you tell me the genre. You already know how to do this. We'll, we'll jump right in. We'll start off with music genres, okay? I'm going to give you the content of a music genre, and you tell me what genre it is, okay? Here it is. This form of music has, talks about broken relationships, alcohol, and pickup trucks. Country, that's right. We got country. Are you getting the... You already know how to do it, right? All right, here's another one. A lot of improvisation related to swing music started in New Orleans. Jazz, that's right. Here's one. Heavy drums, loudness, and some guitar distortion. That's right, Journey of Faith worship team. No, it could be rock or metal or something like that. All right, let's switch over to movie genres. Okay, here's some movie genres. In these movies, there's fictional creatures and once upon a time. Fairy tale, fantasy, right, that genre. Here's another one. Young adults in a remote place, only one survives. It's like horror is what I was going for. That's probably, here's a, another one related to that. Middle-aged adults in a remote place and someone solves a crime. Murder mystery, whodunit, things like that. Here's a very specific movie genre that's only about 10 or 15 years old. Car chases and explosions, but physics and gravity are ignored. <laughs> Fast and Furious movies. That's right. A lot of you got that one. You're like, that's not how cars work. You can't just jump from one car over a bridge or something like that. We already know how genres work. We know how genres work in music. We know how they work in movies. We have favorite genres. And actually, when you know the genre... You kind of know what you're listening for, and you know how to interpret what you're seeing or hearing 
the genre helps you with that. Well, what is true about genres in other areas is true of the Bible. The Bible actually contains about six genres. So let me show you a, a bookcase that kind of lays this out. This is all the books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and it starts off with the genre of law, and then it moves into the genre of narratives, and that is stories, historical stories. Then we have what's called poetry or wisdom literature, and there are rules for understanding how to read poetry and wisdom literature. Then there is a a good section of the Old Testament that's prophecy, and that is a unique genre. Then we have a genre that is unique to the Bible called gospels. And we have four books in the Bible, and gospels are a summary of Jesus' life and teachings. And then really almost the rest of the New Testament is the genre of letters. And we know how to read a letter. We kind of intuitively understand what a letter is about, but there's rules for reading it. So what we're going to do in these five weeks is we're going to go through each week one of these genres, and in addition to one of these genres, each week we'll talk about the Gospels, because the Gospels are the primary way that followers of Jesus understand all the other genres. And the reason why this is so important is as you're reading through the Bible, a question that is good for you to ask is this, what genre am I reading? Because that helps you know how to interpret it. So today we're going to start with what might be the more complicated, maybe the most challenging genre, but to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of my favorite because I'm super excited about this, so I'll, I'll say forgive me in advance for how excited I am about this. It is this genre, law. Some of you are like, I'm so excited that we're going to be talking about law. Some of you are like, that is the, what, the last thing I want to talk about. What is law? Law, we're familiar with laws all the time. Uh, scientific laws, laws of nature, the law of gravity, traffic laws. We grew up in homes where our parents had laws or rules. Law is a set of rules with positive and negative consequences. We have it in the natural world, we have it in relationships with each other, and we have it in the Bible. Essentially, law is good. Because here's the purpose of law, to bring order to chaos. Essentially, law is good. And what we're going to be looking at is a set of laws that God gave to his chosen people in the Bible called the ancient Israelites. And it was a set of laws to help bring their chaotic world into order so God could have a relationship with them. And what we're going to see is these laws actually point to the character of God. In fact, here's our main idea for today. Through the lens of biblical law, we can see God's goodness. When you open up the Bible and you're starting to read the Bible, if you start from the beginning, this is where we find the law genre. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. In Judaism, this section of the Bible is called Torah, which in Hebrew means instruction. 
Now, when I first started reading the Bible, I thought, well, I'm going to read it for the first time. I'll open it up. I'll start on page one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's actually filled with stories. And, and there's a story of creation. And then there's Adam and Eve. And then there's Noah's Ark. And then there are these influential religious figures who, who don't really live a, a, a very good life, but they're, they're trying to make their way through. A guy named Abraham and a guy named uh, Isaac and another guy named Jacob. And then they have this big people group and they end up traveling to Egypt and then they become slay, enslaved to Egypt. And then God raises up this great leader named Moses and Moses helps free all the Israelites and then they move into the desert. God goes up onto a mountaintop, uh, Moses goes up on a mountaintop to hear from God and God says, here are the rules that I want this group of Hebrew people to follow. And then for the next three books of the Bible, it's like reading the DMV manual. It's like, have you run across this and you're looking, oh, I'm really into this. And suddenly, now I'm reading like California penal code all of a sudden. I'm like, I, I, this doesn't make any sense. I was into the stories. Why did you switch? In fact, the story of the Bible is that as the Israelites are leaving, they're leaving Egypt and they're heading toward Canaan. And in this period of time, as they're wandering around the desert, that's when these laws come in. And it's like God is saying, here's how I want you, this specific group, living as opposed to everybody else in the world. Today, I want to share with you two ways that we can see God's goodness through the, the lens of biblical law. And I'm hoping that this will help you when you read this genre. This will give you some tips of how to move forward. And then we're going to close our service by celebrating communion together and singing a song that's all about God's goodness. Here's the first way that through the lens of biblical law, we can see God's goodness. Biblical law points us to flourishing, not legalism. So I had a chance to meet with two lawyers in our congregation over the last couple of months. One of them is a, a commercial real estate lawyer, and the other one is a prosecutor for the city of Los Angeles. I met with them at different times, and here's what I said. I said, I'm going to be teaching about biblical law. Would you read all the law in the first five books of the Bible? And then can we meet and talk about it? And I figured these are lawyers. They love that stuff. They love reading about law. So I met with them separately. And I said, what did you think? And they both separately said, it was beautiful. And I said, tell me more about that. And as we started talking, we kind of saw how holistic and comprehensive God's laws for the ancient Israelites were. Let me, let me show you a little bit of there's religious law. This is how to have a relationship with God, how to be forgiven by God. And in the law, there's actually a yearly calendar that they would follow that had different experiences of helping them remember their past and pointing to the future. There's agricultural law. There's laws about farming. There's laws about letting the ground go fallow, you know, where you, you let the ground rest so that it brings better crops. 
There's laws about creation care. There's laws to farmers about how they have to make sure that they grow a certain amount of food for poor people who can't afford to buy it. There's criminal law. There's laws about theft, self-defense, murder, kidnapping. And the consequences all exist outside of a system um, where there's no jail. There's also family law, laws about marriage, laws about divorce, particularly laws that protect women from unlawful divorces. There's laws about sexuality for preserving family lines and protecting family lines from incest and from violence. There's laws about, um, about how families should be working together in child rearing. There's elder care laws. There's humanitarian laws. Laws about warfare, war ethics, POWs. There's also laws about immigration and how to relate to foreigners. There's financial law about debts, interest rates. If you're unable to pay loans, then there's something called indentured servitude where you would actually work, become enslaved to another person, but that had time limits and barriers to make sure that workers were not exploited. There's healthcare law about how to diagnose illnesses, how to treat illnesses. In fact, there's an entire chapter in biblical law about social distancing. And then there's real estate law. There's actually law in the Old Testament about encroachment, inheritance, and mold remediation. When you read the law, you go, wow, God's really thinking about all these areas of people's lives. And all of the 613 laws in the Old Testament seem to flow naturally out of the Ten Commandments. So it's like you have the Ten Commandments... And then you have these case laws. Here's how this commandment would be applied to this specific issue or this circumstance. Now, could all of these laws that are listed lead the ancient Israelites to legalism? Absolutely. Any legal code, any rule book can cause us to slip into legalism rather than seeing that law is designed to create order so that we can flourish if it's done right. And that's what one of the writers of the New Testament says about ancient biblical law in the Old Testament. He says, we know that the law is good when used correctly. So as you read through biblical law as a genre, and you kind of get stuck, "Uh uh-oh, here I am facing all these laws, Step back, take a big picture, and here's an action step for you. Celebrate how God cares about every part of our lives. You might say, well, God cares about my soul, but not my body. Yeah, he does. God cares about my body, but not my savings account. Yeah, he cares about how you steward money. Cares about your relationships with each other. Cares about your property, what you own cares about what you're leaving to your children and grandchildren. God cares about injustice in the world and wanting things to be made right. God cares about people coming into this country. 
God cares about all those things. And this Old Testament system of laws that God gave the ancient Israelites, it's a beautiful, comprehensive, holistic picture of God's love for us. Now, one of the challenges with ancient Hebrew law is you can't just pull it out and apply it today. It wasn't written to us today. It was written to those people. So you can't just grab it and apply it. It's a different time, a different culture, a different thing. But here is uh, a question that I learned that has helped me. When I'm reading biblical law, I ask this question. What is the timeless principle here? See, law is a very specific application to, to a time and space. But behind the law, there is an idea, a principle, a goal. Let me give you an easy example from one of the laws in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what it says. When you build a new house, you must build a railing around the edge of its flat roof. Now, some of you are like, my roof is, has got a peak on it, uh, therefore this law doesn't apply to me. You know, some of you are like, oh, I have a prairie-style house or I have a modern house. Mine is a flat roof. Does God care about my architecture? Is it like, would we see Jesus on the cover of Architectural Digest? When I read this, I was like, is God like really into railings? Like he's like, you know, look good on that house, a railing. <laughs> is it a style thing? Is it an architectural thing? Well, fortunately, in this law, there's a reason given. Here's what it says. You build a railing around your flat roof. That way, you will not be considered guilty of murder if someone falls off the roof. What is God thinking about? Safety. In fact, here's what ancient Israelite home, homes looked like. You had a flat roof on the top, and in the cool of the day, the family would go up there and spend the time. God's looking and going, oh, that's dangerous. Here's the idea. The law is build a railing around your flat roof. The principle is God is good and cares about safety. And so should we. So when we build our homes or we build our buildings, when we build anything, we should be thinking, how can I love God and love other people by creating a safe place? So you kind of say, is there, what's the principle? And not only does that help you when you're reading the law, but it also helps us in relationships with each other because some of you are law people. You love laws and you have a lot of rules in your life. Somebody nudged the person next to you because you're like, oh, that's you, honey. You, you love rules. You got rules for everything. If you are a law person, do the people around you a favor and say, hey, here's why I have this rule. Here's what it's about. I made this rule, but here's really what it's about. And if you're around somebody in your life that's a law person, try to tease that out of them. Just say, hey, hey, you got this rule. Tell me where that's coming from. What are you aiming for in having that rule? Let me give you an example. My wife is a law person. She has rules for everything. And sometimes I don't even know why those rules are there. But she, she is a law person. I remember when we were um, coming to church and we had our, our little boys, and she had a law, a rule, that when the boys go to church, they have to wear a shirt with a collar on it. And I was like, okay. So we had, a, we had like 
a certain amount of shirts with collars on them, the, the church shirts. And my voice was, why do we have to wear a collar shirt? She's like, because I said so. That's what it is. And I remember questioning too, and I pushed back on her too. I was like, honey, this is Southern California. People don't even wear collared shirts to work anymore. You know, this is, we're right by the beach. I even got spiritual. I was like, Jesus didn't even have collars on his shirt. And now we have to have collars on our shirts. So I was like, what is this about? And she said, you know what it's about for me? I'm a more traditional person. And I actually believe that church is a special place to be at that's very different than other places I go to. And I want to teach my kids that. And wearing a collar on your shirt makes it feel like they recognize that this is important to me. And I was like, I get it. I get it. This is a way that you love God, and this is a way that other people can love you. Now, I'm not saying we all have to start wearing collar shirts. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Some of you are like, oh, I'm wearing a T-shirt. What's wrong with, you know? I'm not saying that. But it is, for her, this law was really an expression of loving God and loving other people. So what is the principle behind the law or the rule? And that can help us. Now, let me just point out that this is not always easy when we're reading the Bible. Um, The law genre is the most challenging, and here's a few reasons why. First, the purpose of the laws is not always clear. Sometimes God just says things and doesn't give a reason. Like most of the kosher laws, like God said to the Israelites, here's the food you're allowed to eat, here's what you're not allowed to eat. And he doesn't say why. Most of us are like, well, it's for health reasons. But that's Californians. We're, everything is a health reason for us. Well, it's because of health reasons. We need to be healthy. But he actually doesn't say why. There's actually rules of, regarding blood. There were certain things you're allowed to do with blood, certain things you're not allowed to do with blood. He never says why. There's actually verses in the Old Testament about how and when and Uh, in what form a man should or should not trim his beard. I was thinking about that this morning as I was clipping away. And there's no explanation about why that is. In fact, sometimes it just ends with God saying, I am the Lord, which I think is just like with us parents. You know why I got this rule? Because I'm your mother. That's why the rule. So sometimes finding the principle is not always that easy. Sometimes we're just left with what it says, and, and that's what the Israelites had to deal with. Here's another reason why this genre is challenging. This was written to a specific people for a specific time. When you read Old Testament law, when you read the Hebrew laws, you're reading it into a world where slavery was normative. They couldn't even conceive of a world where there wasn't some form of slavery. Warfare was brutal, bloody, hand-to-hand combat. That's the world they live in. A shame-honor culture. Most of it was written within a shame-honor culture, which is a very different culture than American culture. And sometimes when you read Old Testament law and you read the consequences, it's kind of like you're looking over the fence at a parent who's disciplining their child based on the rules of their house, and you're going, golly. And you kind of see God kind of getting angry with his kids, and you're like, oof. You know, and you're, and so when we read some of these Old Testament laws, it's like someone parenting their children, and that kind of relates to the to the third challenge, and that is 
there's different views of how biblical law relates to today. Even within Judaism, there are uh, Jewish people who believe that the laws that are written in here really don't apply like they did back then. Most Jewish scholars believe that eventually when their Jewish Messiah comes, all of these biblical laws will change in some way, but they're not sure how. Because they have written in the Old Testament from one of their prophets these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Which points us to the second way we can see God's goodness. Because while the Jewish people believe that they are waiting for the Jewish Messiah to come, because when the Jewish Messiah comes, every one of these laws changes we as followers of Jesus believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And when he came, we relate differently to that law. And that's the second way we can see God's goodness. Biblical law points us to new life in Jesus. By the way, I had a great conversation with the Jewish rabbi a while back about the Jewish law. And I was asking him some specifics about it. And he said, why are you asking? This isn't even for you Gentiles. None, only Jewish people. This was given to us Jewish people, not you guys. Why are you so concerned about obeying this? It isn't even for you. Biblical law shows this movement toward Jesus. It's like the law was a school teacher or a, a guardian guiding and protecting the Jewish people through history so that the Messiah can arrive. And when the Messiah comes, he says, all right, now there's a new covenant. And we see that beautifully in the life of Jesus. In fact, let's jump over to that genre I was talking about before, the genre of gospel. Again, these four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are gospels, and they're summaries of the life and teachings of Jesus, and they're written to help people live for him. And in this genre, we see Jesus actually talking about ancient biblical law. And when he's teaching, a lot of the people in his day, a lot of the Jewish leaders in his day was like, so are you getting rid of the law? Are you saying we shouldn't follow the law anymore? Do you not care about this important 613 commandments that God gave through Moses? And here's what Jesus says. He says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I haven't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Now, do you know what he means when he says, I came to accomplish their purpose? We don't know. We're, we're not sure what he means. Here's three ideas of what he might mean. The phrase accomplish their purpose or fulfill the law was actually a phrase that first century rabbis used a lot. When a first century rabbi would get up and teach, he would read a passage of scripture and he said, now let me fulfill this for you. And what that meant is, let me explain to you what it means. And so we actually have a lot of teaching of Jesus quoting ancient biblical law and then saying, let me explain what this means. So it could mean, I'm going to give you the true meaning of what these laws mean. Some believe that when he says, I came to accomplish their purpose, it means Jesus was saying, I am going to do what no Israelite has ever done. 
I am going to personally obey every one of the 613 commandments. And when I obey it, I'm going to transfer that obedience spiritually onto you. So when God looks at you, you have completed the law because I did it. And then some believe that when Jesus says, I've come to accomplish their purpose, it means all the prophecies, all the symbols, all the sacrifices, that Jesus comes and he fulfills all of that in his person. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he's like, I am the Passover lamb. I'm the year of Jubilee. I'm the, the blood on the posts. I'm, you know, I'm all of these things, and I'm fulfilling them all. I actually think Jesus did all three of these things. Jesus brought in this new covenant. And then the people come to him again, and they're like, okay, we, I, I think we understand that, but we've got 613 case laws. Which ones are the most important? What, what should we really focus on? And Jesus says, two. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And you know what? These are the hardest two. <laughs> He's saying if you take all 613 laws in biblical law, you can back them all up to the Ten Commandments, but then you can also back them all up to these two commandments. And Jesus is like, let's focus on these two. You focus on these two, you're doing all the rest in my eyes. Let me give you a little, uh, little side tangent here of just our, our communication style here at Journey. We go back to these, these two commandments almost every week. This is what we talk about a lot. You're going to see these two commandments come up all the time because of this purpose. We believe that if we can help all of us move toward loving God with all we are and loving neighbors ourselves, then we're fulfilling all of what Scripture is talking about. So much so that, I'll tell you, behind the scenes, every message that we do really only has two points, and one of them is related to loving God, and one of them is related to loving your neighbor. We're trying to, like, bake that into all the messaging. So let me give you an action step from this. This week... Practice biblical law by loving your neighbor in one practical way. And let me give you some suggestions. Let's put them up here. Maybe it means forgiving them or talking to them about God or inviting them into the yearly rhythm of how we do church throughout the year. Maybe it means helping them in their yard, at their house with some kind of project. Maybe it means standing up for somebody that is, is misrepresented, somebody that's accused of something that's, that's not right. Maybe it means confronting somebody about something that's wrong. 
It means coming alongside and helping a family get together or resolve some issues, work on their marriage. Maybe it means being more intentional about the people that you're surrounded with that are immigrants, that are foreigners or feel like foreigners in the country. Maybe there's some people that are just coming into the country that you could reach out and help get uh, transitioned into living here in the United States or even here in the South Bay. Maybe there's somebody that owes you some money and you could forgive it. Maybe there's somebody that needs some help financially and you can help them. Maybe there's somebody that's just struggling with an illness or a sickness and you can come along so you can take them to a doctor. You can help refer them to somewhere. You can come in when they're, when they're needing help. Maybe some people just need some help with some property. Maybe there's some problems with inheritance or there's some taxation issues going on with real estate. Or maybe you just tend to put your trash cans on their property all the time. And you know what that's called in real estate law? Encroachment. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, maybe you'd be like, all right, I need to cut down that tree because it really is hanging over. Or where we built the fence was actually more on their side and not on my side. Like, what could you do in some practical way when you read biblical law? You say, look, here's the idea. I need to love my neighbor holistically, comprehensively. Here's what we talked about today. Through the lens of biblical law, we can see God's goodness. Two ways. Biblical law points us to flourishing, not legalism. It's not a checklist. And especially when we read biblical law, it's not a checklist for us. But it does give us a picture that God cares for our whole lives and wants us to flourish and experience his goodness in every area. And then biblical law points us to new life in Jesus. When you read that genre, say, boy, how is this moving me toward a relationship with Jesus? And how does this law point to this beautiful picture of experiencing a new covenant, a new agreement with God where I'm invited to love God and love my neighbor by following Jesus? We live in a chaotic world And God wants to bring order to chaos. And that's what the biblical genre of law is all about. 